Welcome to the Discipleship Discussions podcast. We believe everyone can be a disciple who makes disciples. Our goal is to help you with this process. Each week, we take the lesson taught through basic discipleship and break it down in a discussion format. Now, let's join today's discussion. Hey, welcome back to our podcast. My name is Benji Linder. With me, as always, is Dr. Patrick Latham. Uh, we're in session six, lesson six of this basic doctrine of the Bible. We're going to talk about how the Bible was written. So, Patrick, you start off your teaching session with a quote from a president, ex-president, Woodrow Wilson. He says this, I feel sorry for the men who do not read the Bible every day. I wonder why they deprive themselves of such strength and pleasure. So draw for us the connection of that verse and how that connects into your teaching session about the Bible and it being written. Yeah, I think it's just always a good reminder um, to think about all of the, the good stuff, the positive mm-hmm. stuff that comes our way when we um, treasure God's word. So, you know, and then you see that in scripture, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even the Beatitudes for Jesus, he's saying, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, uh, talking about how there is blessing and following his ways. Sometimes we kind of spiritualize that word blessing, and sometimes we make this false kind of dichotomy between joy and happiness. You know, you hear that a lot, like the Lord doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Or um, I hear people try to make the distinction between happiness and joy. In reality, I mean, you, you can do that to some degree, but I think what's important in the Christian life is to understand this. God wants you to be happy. Mm-hmm. The difference is the basis of his happiness is different. The basis of the happiness of the Lord is different than the happiness of the world. So we got to be done with this idea of the Lord doesn't want me to be happy. He wants me to be joyful, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, no, know this. He wants godliness with contentment is great gain. And we know contentment can be a bad thing. There's a negative type of contentment. But Jesus wants you to be blessed. And the Greek word there, I think it's makaroi. It's the idea of happy. I mean, you really could translate that happy, happy, happy. It is the best type of happiness, the happiness that comes from him. So scripture teaches us that the word of God leads us to happiness. Jeremiah said, your words were found. I ate them. They became the joy and the rejoicing of my mm-hmm. heart. How does that work? Well, if the Lord made all things, the Lord knows how all things operate best. He knows how life is supposed to work. He has given us a book called the Bible that gives us paradigms, precepts, principles for life to show us, okay, Here's who you are. Here's where you came from. Here's what's gone wrong with this world. Here's how it can be made right. Here is the way in which you can walk in to experience supreme joy in me. So with that being said, when we read the word of God, um, we inevitably get happiness because we learn how to live life as it was intended to be lived. Right. Makes sense. That's right. So the Bible was written. Okay, that's the point. And really, for our good, for our strength, for our pleasure. Not that it's egocentrical, right? It's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not all about it's us. But un- it's type of, for us, yeah. right? I mean, it was given to us and for us, uh, for our you know benefit as well as you know the Lord's uh, glory. So, yeah. so, uh, so the reason I try to share that is to kind of change the paradigm mm-hmm. where Bible reading, Bible study. Is often viewed as this thing like oh, I got to read my Bible, got to get through my Bible reading plan. Mm-hmm. Want to make God happy with me? No, God's already happy with you through Christ. 
This is you pursuing him and experiencing more of his life. Don't view Bible reading, Bible study as this checklist thing. Oh, I got to do it. No, you get to do it. This is a way of you getting in touch with like the fresh oxygen of heaven, like experiencing God and knowing him. So if you approach scripture with that focus, mm-hmm. it totally changes totally changes right. how you view scripture and it's more motivating. Right. Um, second good point you brought up was the span, the timeline of the Bible. And um, we know that it was over 1,500 years from the first book being written to the final. So how does that impact the way we view the Bible and maybe the way we study the Bible? Yeah, I think um, for one thing, it I mean, it, it points to the miracle, mm-hmm. the miracle of the Bible. You know, um, if you study Islam, you know, Muhammad claimed that he received uh, the Quran through these trances where he uh, went into some um, ecstatic state and received visions and the words for the Quran. Um, at one point, there's actually a quote out there where he believed he was demon possessed at one point. Um, maybe he was. <laughs> right. right. So, um, so anyways, you got one man saying, I've got it. I've seen, heard, talked to God. Here it is, y'all. Here is the holy book. This is what we need to follow. So you got one man doing that. Uh, with scripture, you have... Uh, multiple individuals, around 40 individuals, over 40 individuals, over a span of hundreds of years, uh, delivering um, different books that contribute to one coherent message. Um, I think for any common observer, for that to happen, that has to be a miracle. So it, it, it should lead us to stand in awe that, wow, this book is unique, it's different. Sometimes you hear the, the the skeptic scoff at Christianity. Well, men wrote the Bible. It's like, yeah, men wrote the Bible. God loves men, women, boys, and girls. Mm-hmm. He he desires to know them. So through the Holy Spirit, he initiated men to write Scripture. Mm-hmm. That doesn't discount the Bible. If anything, it proves that the it demonstrates the love of our Lord, and it shows that this is a miracle. That's right. Um, may, and also I wrote down the question is the age of the Bible, does it help explain some things? First of all, is progressive revelation when you think, you know, 1500 years of writing and how, you know, some would say, okay, well, the Bible teaches that the earth was flat. Well, no, actually the person who's writing mm-hmm. at that point, because just unbeknownst to them, they didn't know or how they thought it was, um, not heliocentric or, you know, they thought the earth revolved around the sun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, we know that's not true. Yeah. And so we see progressive revelation. Um, are there any other things or examples you can think of how it benefits us knowing how long, you know, the timeline well, is? You, you can, I'll, I'll say something about that in just a second. You could flip that actually and say that the Bible um, actually did the opposite of that at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think about, um, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That was in Scripture uh, before a circular earth was, a spherical earth was commonly accepted. Right. So uh, you still had a flat earth theory, which you still do today with Kyrie Irving. 
You know, I don't know if you knew that. Mm-mm. Brooklyn Nets point guard believes in flat earth. So that kind of like, the media. You being stuff. for real? Yeah, there's a whole flat earth society and stuff now. But anyways, so, um, yeah, so they have like an annual conference in Arizona somewhere. But anyways, so the Bible, you could you could actually flip this, that the Bible talked about God sitting enthroned above the circle of the earth before that was a predominant worldview on the uh, nature of the earth. So then also like the idea of blood, um, the Bible said, uh, Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, mm-hmm. right? So you had bloodletting for years where, um, you know, people would view the blood as uh, being poisoned or poisonous and you have to let all the blood out. Even George Washington, if you study, I mean, this isn't that long ago, the way in which he died, he died through bloodletting. Yet all along, the Bible is telling us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So you could actually flip that. There's others examples that, you know, the whole examples in Leviticus of infections mm-hmm. and skin diseases. You know, you even know like the, the Black Plague, right? People didn't realize what was causing it. And that, that led to a lot of the deaths. Yet in the, in the book of Leviticus, you see these principles of avoiding infections. Mm-hmm. And if those, and, and I think there's actually, I may, I may be wrong on this. I think there's actually an example in history where, Maybe it was the Black Plague where people looked at the Bible and thought, maybe we need like social distancing between us. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. um, so the Bible was like speaking of those things mm-hmm. ahead of its time. So that's a you know, that's one thing I'd say to that. Be careful, folks who may say, Well, the Bible is just an archaic book. They didn't know what they're talking about. Even through Holy Spirit revelation, scientific um things that we know to be scientifically true were spoken of and people didn't even realize what they're talking about. The other thing to say about that is you have to understand that there's this thing called that we use all the time called a phenomenological, I think that's how you say it, phenomenological observation. So if that type of observation, I'll just say the word. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah. say it. So uh, I think that's that's the word. That type of observation is where you describe something from your perspective and you don't necessarily intend to make a scientific observation. So you're describing something from your perspective and you don't necessarily intend to make a scientific observation. Right. So we still to this day say the sun came up and the sun went down. That doesn't mean I'm trying to make a scientific observation about the way in which the sun moves. I mean, nobody's calling me out like, actually. Well, I'm sure know. there's at least one or two that <laughs> yeah, send you yeah, an email yeah. on that one. <laughs> yeah, probably so. That's right. So, um, but, but you get the point. And so mm-hmm. when you read scripture, you know, I've had people get all tore up from the floor up. I've had Christians like, I've known Christians who actually believe in a geocentric universe and have given me books say they don't believe the earth is moving and that they believe this is all a lie and that it's a hoax. You know, they'll, they'll actually, I've, I've been given books, I've thumbed through it and read, they're like, well, how does an airplane go up? And boy, if you wanted to get to Europe, all you got to do is fly up in the air and you're there if the earth is really rotating like they says it, say it is. So, you know, there's Christians who actually believe that and they, they do so because 
they're taking these phenomenological observations, I said the word again, yeah. and trying to claim that oh, these are truth claims from the Bible, scientific observations. God's word is true. The earth can't be moving. The, the, the earth must be at the center of the universe. And so, um, you know, really it gets down to a, a misunderstanding of the way you use language. You know, the other thing is also to think of using language in a metaphorical or figurative sense. True. true. To speak of, you know, the earth being at the center of his plan mm -hmm. instead of like literally being cosmologically at the center of the universe. Right. Yeah. So, um, We've almost become so too, bit, too smart or too literal yeah, at times. Yeah, yeah um, you can't be too right. literal with it. So perfect, perfect. We, we prefer. Let me say this: we prefer a literal observation, a literal, excuse me, interpretation as we study scripture. But right. we have to be aware that there's times that the Bible is speaking metaphorically or figuratively, and then we have to give give people in olden times the opportunity to use these things we call a phenomenological observation. They're just described from the rising of the sun to going down the same. They're just describing the world the way they saw it. We do the same thing today. Right. Why do we get so literal with them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's all anyway. There's, there's. We can dive into that yeah. very, very, uh, very quickly. All right. So you explain how there were different materials used um, when writing down scripture. Talking about the original manuscripts. There. You know, how does this play into the scripture that we have today? And maybe does this explain uh, why we have more copies of one type than the other? Yeah, uh, the the most manuscripts that we have are of uh, for the for the New Testament. You know, by far a lot greater number there, um, and that would be um, obviously time. You know, mm -hmm. less time is uh, passed, but also uh, the papyrus and the means had were more technologically advanced. You know, so that leaves you with uh, more manuscripts uh, to, to look back on, right? Sure. So uh, the New Testament would have the most there. Right, and then obviously the climate of the Dead Sea Scrolls yeah. and they were in the pods and all that, yeah. um, which I was just a couple hundred years ago yeah. that they found those, right? Yeah. Or less? Not, not even that much. Maybe so, 150? Yeah. So exactly. I passed it on the test for yeah. hermeneutics. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, so that explains some of the reasons why we have papyrus because it was easier to produce. It was easier to store, mm -hmm. um, specifically referring to yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. Um, so final question is, uh, we know that the Bible was written, the original were written in different languages, which makes it difficult to translate. So explain to the people uh, listening why it is difficult to translate from Greek into English, Hebrew into English, and then Aramaic into English, and why there are some discrepancies between translations. Yeah, um, so I'm not an expert at all on Aramaic of translated from Hebrew, translate do a lot of translating from Greek. Mm -hmm. You know, with any translation you're going to run into translating in any language, even in modern languages, you just run into figures of speech, mm -hmm. number one. Uh, you run into different uses of um, the article, definite article and indefinite article. So that, that runs into a lot of... Um, that 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 can bring some differences there um you know and then obviously just syntax can be different or awkward when compared you know to to first language to the language in which you're translating into so 
Um, you know, but when you look at the Greek, uh, you maybe have more problems with that in Hebrew, I would think. You know, you look at the, the Psalms and the Proverbs, there can be some some wide variances in the translations. But um, for the Greek, I think you get a, for the New Testament, you know, you get a pretty good idea, you mm-hmm. know. I think what you see with uh, modern translations is maybe one thing we've gotten into the habit of is that, you know, kind of a curse of capitalism. Everybody wants to have their translation now mm-hmm. because publishing houses don't want to have to um, refer to someone else's mm-hmm. translation. And so then to have an original work, to copyright, it's got to be different under our laws by a certain percentage. Right. So then what you get in a game of is using... You got to come up with something. Yeah, right. you got to come up with something. You got to use synonyms. Right. So I'm not necessarily against all that. I'm just saying... You, when you see a lot of the differences, I mean, America's, I mean, the, the number of translations, I read one time a stat on how many come out a year. Why is it? A lot of commercialism is driving that. You know, we even know that in our Southern Baptist Convention, we want to print our literature, so we have the Christian Standard Bible. Mm-hmm. And so, but to do that, you've got to change a substantial part of uh, the product so that you can copyright it. And that results in, okay, how can we tweak this? How can we say that differently? And that's not always wrong or bad. It's just is, it can be, but mm-hmm. it is just is what it is. And it leads to a lot more variances where, you know, in some ways, if we just had one or two good modern translations, and then we could study to see the different word meanings there. That's good. And I use the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, as well. I have a different reason. Yours is probably scholarly. Mine's they sent me a free one. (laughs) So Lifeway sent a free one to me. Mine really is that that is what, as a Southern Baptist church, we have in our literature Mm -hmm. and for our kids, for our adults. I'm like, hey, if we're going to memorize, let's all be on the same page and um, use the same translation. Actually, when I translate it at times, I translate studying the New Testament to preach, and I look at their translation. I'm like, that is. There's times where I'm like, that is horrible. That's mm-hmm. it's awful. You know, how did they make that jump? First John chapter two verse sixteen. You know, you have the old the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of mm-hmm. life. They translate it to pride in one's possessions, and so that um, I'm like, wow, how'd you get that? It's literally the pride of life. Um, you know, another thing to say with that is that you have some translators. Here's why you have some variances who try to interpret instead of translate. Right. So you have that and the NIV when um, they talk about the lust of the flesh. How's it translated? I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've read it, but they they take some liberty there and they maybe call it evil desires. So it's like instead of just literally translating um, the epithumia of the sarcos Mm -hmm. or the Greek words, they 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 take it and said translate translating it, they interpret it and right. I think they call it evil desires. So that's another thing driving a lot of your there's a lot of things driving all the various translations, but that's another one. That's right. And being aware of what is a translation of the Bible from the original and then what's a uh, interpretation. Yeah. And so just knowing the differences there, because mm-hmm. you see something that's a little cattywampus, you got to understand, well, that's a, one person's, yeah. the message, for example, that's one yeah. one person's Well, with the message, you get it is an interpretation, but you even go beyond where they aim to be a paraphrase. Right. You know, and so, 
you got interpretational issues where we're not going to translate. We're going to interpret so people will know what this means. And then, and the Christian standard does that some. Then you've got the whole other issue where you've got like the um, the message, and then there's the other one, New Living Translation. No, that's a, a translation. Bit. There, there's another one um, that was a paraphrase, but yeah, so it's really not a translation. It's mm. a paraphrase, almost like being sermonic, like stating it in one's own words. You know, that's right. Well, good deal. So we got off track a little bit on the end there. Yeah, but, cool. uh, thank you so much for tuning in with us. We look forward to seeing you at our next session. Thank you for joining us today for our discussion on basic doctrine of the Bible. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast. For show notes, visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the materials presented in this discussion, or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info at basicdiscipleship.net. Thanks for listening.